This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to Speaking Out. Mainly discussing land rights and economic empowerment. Aboriginal enterprises in mining, exploration and energy. Talk a little bit about uh, Indigenous constitutional recognition. With Larissa Berendt. It's a fresh view coming on ABC Radio. The minimal number of speakers in community who can teach or share that language or who have the protocols and, I guess, authority to do so is becoming constantly impacted upon the more that time goes on and our elders are dying. Yeah, we have an in- a decade of Indigenous languages, but we also need to be doing this work now. Celebrating the resilience of First Nations languages, this is Speaking Out. I'm Larissa Berendt. Over the past few decades, there has been a sustained effort to preserve and revitalise Indigenous languages across Australia. For thousands of years, First Nations people have observed how language can play an important role in preserving history, customs and traditions. But Indigenous languages are falling out of use. Today, there remain only 123 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages in use and just 12 are relatively strong and being taught to children. Colonisation has had a profound impact on this decline, a result of First Nations people being forbidden to use their traditional language under government assimilation policies. So what needs to be done to preserve, revitalise and promote Indigenous languages? What positive outcomes can be expected from Indigenous language preservation and acquisition? And what can be done in terms of policymaking to support that process? These were the key themes explored by a group of language revivalists during a recent panel discussion hosted by the Sydney Opera House. Facilitated by ABC presenter, journalist and producer Daniel Browning, the conversation featured Uncle Gary Williams from the Murr Bay Aboriginal Language and Cultural Cooperative, poet Keely Saunders and broadcaster Shelley Ware. Now, Uncle Gary, I'll, I'll defer to you because you've been working in this domain for such a long time. Uh, you've such a proud track record. Can I ask you, what does language do for a community uh, like, say, yours in Nambaka, what are the positive outcomes that you've seen from language revival? I would say first, um, it has brought a bit of self-respect. I'll just say that whether it is out there or not, uh, I, they didn't, it's not shown openly, but uh, loss of language is felt by, I would say, every Aboriginal person in this country and they may not know it actually, but they, they're, they're feeling the loss. And any attempt by people to bring it back gains a bit of respect from them. They, and in, in themselves, I find that uh, maybe not everyone will be involved in the language, but uh, they know somebody who is. And it's, I think it's one of those things where I, I put one of those words up there, safety, mm. and it makes their world a little bit safer. Mm. And I, it's been 20 years in this little place, Nambuck Heads, and, uh, and we're hoping through uh, being a regional language centre that uh, we have bought this type of uh, lessening of feeling of loss mm. in the old, what they call Atsic region, which went from the Queensland border down to the Hawkesbury River, mm. covering seven languages. 
it's a very diverse um, kind of area, just that whole from, say, from the Queensland border to, to, yes. uh, to the Hawkesbury. There's a lot of languages in there, a lot of variation. Have you seen like young fellas walk taller? They talk about how the young fellas walk taller if they just know a little bit of language. They do, and people still talk about hearing language in the street that the old fellas, old people did, and, and suddenly it's coming back again. Mm-hmm. Not afraid to mm-hmm. speak it in the open. And that would have happened kind of quite dramatically in just the last yes. 20 years. That's right. Now, Curly, we've spoken before about a moment I think you had uh, on the Shoalhaven River down south. Uh, it was a moment that crystallised this language journey that you embarked on yeah. some years ago. What happened there on that, on that bend in the river? I was down there this week, actually, at Bundanon, sewing a possum skin cloak with a collective of ten women and learning from Annie Loretta Parsley and having language sewn back in again, which was really special. And I wanted to raise it because I wasn't on my emails all week. So when they checked the pronunciation for Nanangula, which is the word on the screen, um, I didn't get back to them. So take out the Y and it's just an N-U-N, Nanangula. Um, and apologies. That's my fault. No, it's mine. No, it's, no, I made it up. I was, I was like, trusting oh, the birds to tell you, but uh-huh. sometimes it gets lost in translation. <laughs> and I guess that's what, what happened on that day on the Shoalhaven for me. I was standing on the banks of Bangali and I could hear singing in language. If you stand on Bangali, you quite often hear like ACDC ripping mm-hmm. up the, the river because <laughs> people are always fishing there. <laughs> and so I, I found myself in that time-space thing where you're like, is this real or am I imagining that there's language and song here? And I ended up calling um, an auntie up, on, up in the Highlands and saying, you know, I heard this language and I think I'm going mad. They're like, no, no, you're not going crazy. That's, that's you being told you have to go and learn language. It's time for you to learn. And at the time I was with Jacob Morris and Adrian Webster and Joel Deves, who are all champions for Gumi Adarawal language. And they encouraged me in that as well. And I was born on Gunagara country. And my great aunt, Aunty Belma Mulcahy, her family are Stevensons um, that are tied in through Gunagara land. And so she passed away just last week or the week before. And we've had sorry business around the passing of Aunty Val and particularly the language work that she did because she would teach every week out of this centre. And so, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to learn from Aunty Val and to learn from Aunty Shaz. Um, halls up in the mountains as well as Trish Levitt and there are not many Gunungara speakers and I feel really lucky that I get to champion a language which is on my grandfather's side because when I identify I say Gunai is where our family are from but I was born on this country, Gunungara country, through the Blue Mountains, through the Barragarang all the way out to Goulburn and um, yeah, learning that language has been a big part of, of my journey and something that has catapulted me to be passionate about teaching and sharing languages in lots of ways. Just on that, in, in, on the screen, mm. this really deadly PowerPoint presentation I put together. Um, flash. My idea, so flash. <laughs> <laughs> but I asked each of the panel members to generously give me a word in, in their languages or a, or a word with which they you know, deeply associate or which, which really kind of expresses the totality of what our languages are to us. And Curly, you chose a word in Gunungara. Mm. Just remind us what that word is. Yeah, that word is Nanangula, um, and it means to... I've been told two translations, to walk and work together and belonging, or this idea of to belong. And it's, I think, my hands-down favourite Gunungara word that I've heard. And uh, Anival allowed a gallery to use that name and the Jubilee Rocks, which was listed as a sacred site... In, there it is. Um, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, up in the Highlands was also given that name. So it's a word that ripples through country and is known, and it sounds like country 
as well. Yeah. Nanangula, it flows. Mm, like I mean, rivers, like mountains. I love the onomatopoeia and the, I'll talk about this endlessly, poetry and metaphor yeah. and the simplicity and economy of our languages. But yeah, that's just kind of the yeah. Nanangula. Mm-hmm. So Shelley, where does language fit for you? I mean, you're not just a, an amazing sports broadcaster uh, who communicates in another language every single day like I do. You're an educator mm. and you started off in journalism and teaching at around the same time. You know, we, we strive to be understood in, that, in, in English and it can be a real lifetime's work learning a language. Yeah, unfortunately, language for me in um, Wirungu, my Aboriginal language, I haven't been able to learn, but as a child there was always the little words and lots of phrases, and so I keep that alive in my son. Mm-hmm. And so every day we speak Wirungu, and, and it feels like... It's that respect and that, that you feel the ancestors that with you in, in the moments that you say it. And you can feel the joy even in him repeating the words so, and the phrases that we have in our own family. But I've tried to learn Wirungu. Just three years ago, Wirungu opened up a language centre in Sejuna. And I don't live on country, I live in Melbourne now. So a long way from Sejuna and learning it over the internet. They wanted me to do it. It was three days three days a week for three hours during the day, which wasn't going to work as a teacher. So uh, they were very new and trialling it, and it was just moving so fast, I couldn't keep up with it. And so they're going to reassess what's going on, because they've only been doing that for about the last three months online. So we've got... What's sad about it is that it is so new, that it, a new opportunity for me, you know, I'm 50, and, and I can just start learning because it's available on the internet and but they're going to rearrange and try a few new things and hopefully I can get that connection and go back. And I was talking to Daniel earlier about taking my teaching skills and helping them make up some Mm. language lessons for over the internet to help them because it was such a shock. We went from a few words to phrases that were... I was like, this isn't working for this old lady. But, um, yeah, so the phrases that we use in our day are still a a huge part of my life and, and I'm grateful for those. But... There is that sadness and that loss here that Uncle was talking about that I that I desperately feel. I know that um, you know there's there's a Wirungu dictionary that's fairly yes. recently been published. Yeah. Um, and I think the mobile language team at the University of South Australia has a, a Wirungu speakers working there. Yeah. And the mobile language team, uh, led by Karina Lester, extraordinary yes. uh, Anangu translator, unbelievable, uh, Yangunjara woman, daughter mm. of um, old man Lester. Uh, who does incredible stuff. She was talking to me about the complexity in Yangujara, for example, one of your other languages, um, how there's, the, there's these different talk, types of, of speaking, mm-hmm. of speech. So you can have a um, type of... They call it the, it's like the morning news. So it's a little bit gossipy. So if you're shouting okay. across you know, at the next camp, camp and you're like, so-and-so happened over here. This, has, this kind of talk has a name. Yep. It's a type of dialogue that you have. It's the morning news. Then there are particular type of languages that you only use in certain, in certain, mm. with certain family, family members from your paternal or maternal side. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the words then described um, ribs and blood, you know, they, they, they came to be about the body's relationship with that side of the family. 
Yep. Very deep knowledge embedded Very in our language. Knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have, um, you know, the physical, we're um, non-verbal. So mm. it's a huge part of um, my people is we can have a conversation about people without speaking. So that that is very much... And, like, I teach that to my son and we do that a lot, practice, so that he's... that's still part of where he is because in Melbourne nobody's really having those non-verbal conversations no. <laughs> but we're having those and we will have whole conversations using um, non-verbal language is a huge part and for other parts of Australia the sign language is huge too oh, so huge. you know so it's um there's a it's quite vast and uh, you know I, I I even talk about this in our family and I think Tweed mob, we'd roll our eyes a lot. Uncle, do you remember tweed mob? They, roll, they tend to roll their eyes and communicate a lot with their eyes. Mm. I didn't realise how much I communicated with my eyes until I saw myself on television. <laughs> I was like, gee, man, I need to calm those eyes down. <laughs> They're telling people a lot of stuff about me. I'm not sure. Browse too, hey. Yeah, well, the whole lot. Yeah. You know, yeah, the rolling, yeah. the, the whole, yeah, yeah up here. Um, but there is a very rich sign language culture. Uncle, tell me about Murbai. First of all, why it's called that. You know, I know what it does for me. Um, it has an online Bunjilung dictionary, a beautiful document, many, many pages full of so much knowledge. But what does Murabai do for, for community up there, Gumbangi mob? Well, I'll, I'll tell you about the, <coughs> the word first. Murabai is a, is a white fig tree, and there is a story about it and uh, about how it was... It was there and people from the uh, inland up on the plateau would come down and people from the coast would share, <coughs> eat it. And uh, at one stage or other, uh, one look around to the other side and said, hey, you know, their fruit is bigger than ours. <laughs> you know, and the other side said, yeah, but uh, this, the crowd gave it this side to us. So they, so they started rowing and everything. So the creator basically heard all this going on and uh, just a short thing. But uh, this said, I'm sick of all this rowing and everything. I'm taking the tree back and uh, took it. And so uh, basically the, the moral of the story is, you know, be sharing uh, and caring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the, the people who who thought up the name Mur- Murbai, were a whole group of pensioners who... Mm-hmm. It's, it's a better story. They actually, and uh, we do acknowledge them in our dictionaries. Uh, I always say, before you get into the dictionary, mm. go to the... Acknowledgements. Acknowledgement at the front before you get to the foreword. So we name them all and... Uh, this story is that in 1936 in Gumbangir country, they were moved over to Dungari country to a place called Burnt Bridge. Mm. Of course, they stayed there and uh, married and had children, grandchildren, etc. And uh, in the 80s, they found a Catholic brother who was there with the ministry, who was a teacher and and he was getting their story. And one of, them, one of the aunts said, you know, when are you going to get us our language back because we want to give it to the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So he had to learn linguistics mm. to do justice to their story. 
And uh, so that was about 85. And they actually did put their money where their mouth was then by pooling their pension to if anything needs to be done and everything like that. So, and they were the ones who talked about the Murabai tree because uh, it's also a place where you go to when you die. Mm. So at some of the funeral ceremonies, they, they do have a, a drawing of the Murabai tree as well. But, uh, yeah, that's where they then, with the brothers' help uh, at the old church there, they set up classes and everything. So uh, the first CEO of Murabai, uh, they called him Uncle Ken, I just, our word for brother is Gugu, so Gugu Ken, uh, and his family went over and they, they did the first lessons. So and he taught them how to be teachers, actually. So the first lessons came back to Nambucca Head where I, in 97 where I heard about it and got and started. And it came back to the, the old church which was on the mission, as they say, and, and it had been sold and people were a bit angry about it being sold off. So it was turned into a just an ordinary house and uh, it was up for sale at sick organisation bought it for us so the, we got the language and the, the old church back on the, mm. on the mission. In one swoop. And, uh, nice. Yeah, it's like a circle being joined. So, yes. Awesome. And uh, I went there and it was the days of what they called the CDP. Yeah. You know what it Community was? Development Employment Program. Exactly. And, uh, and you can do it for a host organisation, so... Work for the Dole, essentially. Work for the Dole, and I, I managed to get it so I could be at work there and, until they got enough money to pay me. <laughs> so, yes, and, uh, I'm trying to, trying to uh, retire, but... Uh... <laughs> no, Uncle, I don't want you to, to retire. I want you to work until, until but, uh, the grave. So, yes, um, part-time CEO, and... Um, a lot of our work at the moment is taken up with translations. Mm. Uh, we uh, actually, as Daniel knows, we did the translations for the series uh, Clever Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The ABC TV fantasy horror genre. Magic. Mm. Yes. Magic kind of stuff, yeah. Hairy people. But it's all, it's all Gumbangi language. Two seasons of it. Yeah. A few Bundjalung. There's a lot of intersection, too, between... There's some shared words, a little bit some of... Some shared words, yeah, yeah. but completely different languages. Completely different languages, yeah. But tell, tell me about that. Like, I mean, was that... That was intense, that kind of work. Hard work. Hard work. <laughs> they, they, they said that we might do a third season. <laughs> <laughs> no. We hope not. <laughs> go to them Bunjalung mob up the road. Or... Yes. Mm. No, it was, uh, it was good. It was... I didn't want to listen, watch it actually to see how the words came out, but they—it's pretty good. They were—they mm. were brilliant, the actors, and uh, I thought we did a good job of it. Mm. Mm. But it, it was hard work. I mean, the the creator and the, the filmmakers—did they talk to you about why Gumbangi was the language? Um, some of them did a series called the. Kings of Wheat Street. Oh, yes, yeah. And that was uh, supposedly in Casino, Bunjalung. And um, it was 
translation in, in Gumanger was further on than advanced in uh, Bundjalung. Mm. And, and though they, because one of them, I forget his name now, uh, had family in casino and uh, so they went with Gumanger and then we chucked in. Uh, there's a great scene of Jackie Charles saying, Boogle Bear. Boogle Bear, yeah. Which is like, everything's good, hey, Boogle Everything. Hey, everything's great. Really one the, good. One of those words that has absolutely... Yes, everybody. Everyone, it can, it, it can mean many, many things. Shelley, Palia, the, the young Ajara word, mm. well, is also a word spoken in, in uh, Pinjara as well. Mm. And I think even Pintipi, Pintipi Lurita maybe, Palia is a word that you can be you can use oh, yeah. in all different contexts. Mm, yeah, Yankajara we say balia, so yeah, so it's good. Like it's mm. like it's every, it's excellent, it's deadly, it's wonderful. It can also mean hello. Hello, yeah, yeah. balia. They they have that I think up in Uluru when you come off the plane. Yeah, Mm-mm. yeah, welcome. And I love that. It's one of the very special things, Kelly, about our languages. I mean, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything here today. Um, the inherent value of the languages must be obvious. Um, but what I am interested in is, you know, exploring those things that, which, for, for me, um, make it so important. And one of them is the economy in language. Um, I think Uncle Richard Wally from over WA once said that you know, English has this extraordinary uh, vocabulary. It's a hodgepodge language which takes many influences, derivations and sources to create what is English today. But in our languages, vocabularies are much smaller not to say it's, the, the languages are spare, but they're just as rich mm. and poetic as, as English. What's, do you, are you stunned sometimes by the, the, the economy in our languages? I mean, I'm talking about the word for bark in many of our languages is the word for skin. Mm. A river might also be the Milky Way. A bend in the river might be the crook of your elbow. Yeah. That metaphor. I know that spider and five are the same word in mm-hmm. Wiradjuri, and that word is also used for fish in Tharawa country, so Mara. I, I love that about language, and also that language is so integra- intimately related with the land, which I spoke about before. Last year I travelled through all, all through the Kimberley, I guess, and the Central Desert as well, so I got to cross many different language groups and spend time with TOs in different places, and I was always blown away. At, I'd ask the name for a medicine plant in one place, and then 50Ks down the road would ask, oh, this is this here, and they'd be like, no. I'm like, what? They're like, we don't have a name for it here. Why don't you have a name for that one here? Because just over here, that, that has a different name. And they'd say, oh, well, it could be that that is in relationship. You know, we don't want to overuse this medicine plant here, so there's no name for it. That way, when mob travel, there's a name for it when we go to that place um, and they'll be able to, to use it and share it. And I think that relationship between the land and language, but also the use of plants and animals and the relationship that we have with um, the kinship of things and the, the way that we eat or consume or use plants and animals is also part of language that's mm. not always explicitly spoken about. And I like that. Yeah, um, yeah and, and also the simplicity of, you know, sometimes you'd be, I'd be asking... Like, there's people in the room here who do the CSU Wiradjuri course, and I know that they've been talking about genders and non-binary people and the ability to name they or them and how that hasn't been created yet, but that we might need to reshape the way that gender falls into our languages and that languages are growing and moving things. So even now, we're developing new words for plants, animals, people, country that we haven't before and that they might draw on 
the crook of the elbow or the mm, ripper mm. and the knowledge that we have existing around language. You're listening to Speaking Out. It just comes down to showing, sharing, you know, respecting. The world from an Indigenous perspective on ABC Radio. This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio National, Radio Australia on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt and if you like what you're hearing, why not rate us on your app and that way other people can find us and hear our stories too. Encouraging Indigenous people to express, preserve, maintain and celebrate their culture has been identified as an important aspect of cultural and heritage protection. But what are the challenges associated with revitalising Indigenous languages? This was a central focus of a recent panel discussion hosted at the Sydney Opera House. More on that shortly, but first some music from Emily Waramara. But to let go of you would be my day How is your family? How are your friends? Every little tear that I trickle Oh, I see it all come to an end Yeah, we're cruising Packing up our bags, we're moving Listen to our favorite song to you all night long. And it's night time, catch another break and unwind. I'll be there with you, with you, real soon. How is your night going? How is your world shining? Does it win? Does it how? Does it blow just for you? I won't refuse nothing And I won't abuse nothing Will I ever get the chance to know the real you? I'm cruising Packing up our bags when moving Listen to our favorite song Another break and unwind I'll be there with you I, I, I won't stop falling 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 I
That's Groot Island singer-songwriter Emily Waramura with Cruisin'. Let's return now to the recent Antidote Festival hosted by the Sydney Opera House. First Languages First was a panel discussion facilitated by ABC presenter Daniel Browning. The conversation aimed to explore the positive outcomes that could come from the revitalisation of Indigenous languages. The land is a body. Mm -hmm. Like the body and the land are inextricably linked. It also leads to this idea of, you know, our survival is... We're dependent on the country. So why is it so unusual to see the crook of an elbow and the bend of a river as being exactly the same thing? Yeah, yeah. I love that poetry. Mm -hmm. And I've come to to the view that our languages are oral literatures, not just a book but a library of meaning. Uncle, how how has your work or just your your knowledge of Gumbangia made you think about that library of meaning that exists, you know, even in, in the one word. I, I was mentioning that word for safety. Dal birwir. Dal birwir. Dal birwir. And it is, it's a sheltered place, so, and you could, you could expand it, but it came about when people were having their wars and they're, you know, standing there each side, throwing spears and boomerangs at each other. And, of course, some fell short. And if they ran out of things to throw, you need to get some things back. And uh, actually, the women who went and got them, and even if they were still throwing, it was a place where you never threw into. So it was a sheltered space. And so you could expand that to all kinds of things then, places, you know, safety, asylum as well as shelter and everything like that. So, like that, and, and of course, this, that's why the safety of mm. helping people get uh, feeling better about getting their language back. And mm. so you can expand that meaning, yes. And can you pronounce it again for me? Dalbir will. The short I, the short I. 
Yes, like short the, I. Yeah, bir, like the, will. the E, I, like the, the sound heard in wit. Yeah. Dal, bir, will. Yeah. I often overpronounce yeah. things. If you, I think mm. Spanish like doing the trill at the end of a word. So the idea was of an enclosed space where no spears would be thrown. Yes. Where, where, where it was agreed that that is territory that you do not exactly. um, fight in, that is an area of safety. Yes. Mm. I mean, that can be expanded in, in all kinds of different ways. And I guess we're only limited by our imagination in the ways that we can think of how the future use of our languages might be extended because our ancestors, the languages are, were given to us from ancestors who didn't experience the things that we mm-hmm. experienced. So is Murabai doing work in that, in that sense, perhaps, you know, maybe working out how the language can be kind of, I don't know, fit for purpose for a younger generation? Well, we'd, there are books we, that we've got out for young people. and, uh, and The young get an awful lot of things done for them nowadays. <laughs> Apps and books and stuff that didn't happen and, when, I was, can, when I was young. They can do and say things that I wasn't able to do at their age. But, uh, <laughs> they, you know, including Welcome to Country, they're, they're pretty fearless about it, mm. using language and everything like that. It makes you proud to see them. Yeah. But uh, we also uh, did a book of our Dreamtime stories. Oh. And uh, wow. uh, we got some money and said we'd have it for them in six months' time. <laughs> Five years later, we finally... <laughs> we don't, we don't, every, every day we thought, oh, gee, we've got to <laughs> go into this a bit further. Oh, and yeah. so we've got all that. And, uh, Precious. Yes. And... There are lots of little stories you could tell young people who can then, they get interested in it a bit more. We've, we've got a school up in Kosovo with young people going to them and I was working with uh, doing a translation and, uh, and uh, putting it, recording it and a young girl, might have been about 10 or something like that, she was doing it, speaking it with me mm-hmm. and... I didn't have to sit down and give her a lesson. She can she listen. She she could pick it up, and uh, and we got through it in about five to ten minutes faster than we would have done mm-hmm. ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So and so these are the measurements you can uh, you can bring the, how they're picking it up now. Yeah. And uh, as I keep saying, they're not frightened. Now. Um I know the workers uh, with the Ghana language uh, in you know, the Ghana language of the Adelaide Plains. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of very kind of resurgent activity in uh, in, in the Ghana language. Some years ago, with a young man called Jack Buckskin, mm. and he and um, an elder who's since passed away, uncle devised this word for a computer, mm. and they also devised a word for mobile phone. Um, but the word that Uncle Steve came up with for computer was lightning brain. Mm. Mm. Um, in order to make the language like, flex mm. around you know, what is you know, a, a completely different uh, set of relationships, how do you, how do you, where do you sit on that you know, in terms of if, if we're giving... I'm talking to you, Shelley. Uh, if we give young people new words to develop... Or are you more of a purist when it comes to how languages 
should be understood? No, I, I think that we evolved as a, as a race and as people, and I think that that is exactly what would have happened if, you know... If, Absolutely. And as soon as something Buxkin, came along, they would have had a word for it. Absolutely. And Jack Buckskin is just an extraordinary man and he has the utmost respect for tradition and modern and, mm. and blends them beautifully. So, of course, we need these words. Now, Can I add to that? Yeah, of course. Um, I, you, know how to, you know how I do this. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, just, just to fill, fill a silence, really. Yeah, Yaraman is this word for horse which you see across so many different language groups and I write a lot about... I, I love horses. I, I write a lot about them. I'm really fascinated by, about the way that they trash the snowies. And I've been doing the research for this novel with that name, Yarnman, trying to figure out where the word came from. And everybody is quick to claim it. <laughs> but the first place that we saw horses was when the first feet landed around Sydney. So it's very likely to be a Dharawal word or a Bidjigal word or a Dharug word and has since expanded everywhere. And this word has spread. Mm. So it's a word that's only got 250 years behind it, but I think it is the adaption of a new mm. word that, we're, that we see as an example. So lightning brain. Mm. Can I yeah. just say, when they talked about phone, actually, mm. mobile phones, and the old fella, who's not with us anymore, but he just up and said, Moyabungi, uh, breath that flies. Moyabungi, breath that flies. Oh, I, love that. I love that. I love that. Mm. And how are you on that? Where are you on that question of should our language be flexible? No, uh, you, Uncle. Yeah, Uncle. Yeah. I already did. Oh. <laughs> I had my go. New words. I, we want to <laughs> new words oh, look, for new things. Um, I think it should be flexible. Uh, people have been doing it for mm. so long and, and it hasn't been uh, written down, a lot of the case. Mm. And uh, maybe you know, people may call it type of Creole or just uh, mispronounced or misunderstood because, mm. uh, but people have changed it. Yes. People have changed or communities have changed mm. it and suddenly it's become more out of known and accepted. So, uh, and a lot of the cases when we were doing classes, we'd give people a whole lot of uh, names and uh, in English and in language if they on the basis that we say you know more than you realize mm. and people have said look we don't know anything like mm-hmm. that after an hour or so and, and people have said oh yeah but you know i've heard this and that and suddenly it all comes out and the the other thing that we say too is almost important is do you know where that word came from? So that's a good way of starting off. People suddenly get into it and, uh, and start owning things because they've, they've heard things but they didn't know what it was or too frightened. It goes back to the fright again. Yeah. To say it. Uh, my word, gandulgali, 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 gandul, canoe, gali, Anyway, the, the term means literally, this is a ship. But it's actually the name of a, of a I guess it looks like, in the Numbar Valley, up on the, uh, on the kind of hinterland ranges between my, in my country, northern New South Wales, southeast Queensland, there's a, a ridge, a mountain that looks like a ship. Mm. So they say, this is a ship. Mm. Gundal, Gully. But the word for canoe is the same as the word for ship. We wouldn't have had a different word for ship. A ship and canoe, both made of wood. Gundal has a derivation in wood, same thing. Mm. Um, and I love that flexibility mm. 
of the languages, even at the brute kind of contact point, the language is still being generous and open to this new way of speaking. I just wish it hadn't completely overwhelmed our languages in the process. Curly, can you, you spend a lot of time in country with elders, and uh, you talk about Annie Val, and uh, who, who, who I'm very sad to hear has passed away. Yeah. And in that apprenticeship, you know, you became this incredible creative force for an initiative called Poetry in First Languages. But tell me about the value of that kind of embedded learning, of sitting down, as Uncle described, mm. and, you know, transmitting this knowledge, you know, face-to-face with another speaker. Oh, I think it's paramount. Like, we're really lucky that we can use technology now to learn languages and that we have books, but you can't hear that word roll off an elder's tongue and watch their mouth shape that word if you're not sitting in relationship with them. So, yeah, Poetry in First Languages brought together elders with children to sit on country and to dance and plant trees and learn about bush medicine um, and write songs while being in with old people, with elders in community and across 12 different language groups and 60 different workshops and hundreds of kids. And it was a really precious thing that COVID loved to put a stamp on. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, programs like that are happening everywhere and I think what you were saying before, Uncle, about getting the church back, Mm. getting land back while also doing this language work, to me, I think that's part of it as well because... And the fact that our our children are the most criminalised youth incarcerated youth in the world. If we want, and Dr Lily Brown spoke about this, who's also Gumbangi and also magic. Um, She said if we want to hand down our Indigenous wisdom or our knowledge to children, then we need them to sit in relationship with their old people. And I think that extends as well. If we want old people to teach the language of the land, then our children need to be able to sit in relationship with them. We need to carve out projects, time um, and opportunities to do so. But we also need land back if we're going to talk about land and language and the inextricable relationship of all of those things. So it was nice. And and that, I guess, has taken different forms for me now. I'm still doing, like, my books have language in them and I love going and teaching language to students in classrooms. And But I'm happier outside when we're planting trees or making possum skin cloaks with the elders and mm-hmm. learning new new words for things while... I know the writer calls it the bitch and stitch and I love that while we're <laughs> stitching. <laughs> and she's teaching me language. Yeah. Just on that kind of serious note, and that is... Mm. I worry that our languages might be held captive to some kind of other agenda, mm. and that is a multiculturalist one. Yeah. But if you don't, as a young fella, see that the value yeah. in sitting with them, and you know, there's a, there's a point at which all, we all become teenagers, yeah. and we just don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, but I know that when I was, you know, really small, I was basically needled, me and my sisters and my cousins to go and see our great-great-uncle and our great-great-aunts. We all lived in the same uh, kind of row of houses in in Fingal, uh, in northern New South Wales. So all related, all family. Um, That's where I grew up. But if I hadn't been provoked and told to go there and say hello every visit, Mm -hmm. there's just things I I I wouldn't even be interested in this part of my identity right now. Yeah. Uncle, when you were growing up, did you... How important was that, just growing up and, and, and learning from, from the elders? Well, uh, there was... The person who gave a whole lot of language to us was still alive then, and, uh, oh. and my mother made sure me and my brother was... As he was walking past, out there, would, uh, 
actually, they'd give us an axe and said, chop the wood out of the wood heap while he's coming along. And then, Go and spend time. And, and then... Engage him in conversation. Engage in conversation. So, mm. yeah, it uh, took a long while. Maybe uh, because he just said things and uh, it, once I started learning the language, I thought, oh, this is what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd agree with him back then and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remembered it, but uh, he wasn't teaching. He was kind of talking to kids kind of thing mm. and, and just giving them little bits here and there. And, and, uh, but mm. sitting down, and then he'd go on his way into town to do his business and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, just one of those little enjoyment things mm. of his. And uh, um, thankfully my mother made sure mm. that we were there. But uh, to be able to then learn even those years later what it was that he really, really meant, uh, the backstory and everything like that. So I'm very lucky on that as well. A lot of, lot of subtext and mm. a lot of um, meaning in words. How, how diligent do you think we have to be? This is a question for for all of you, how diligent do we have to be in protecting our languages? Obviously, we want to share them, but personally, I really hate it uh, when language names like Bunjalung uh, or Gumbangi and other fairly well-published words are badly mispronounced on the radio or on TV. I once heard a radio presenter announce, uh, pronounce Bunjalung as Bujalung. And of course, budge is to fart. <laughs> Budging is our word more correctly, and I just, I just fell apart. Oh. I was just like, yes, it was hilarious, but it's just like, well, actually, no, I, mm. if, I would show you the respect to learn your name. Why don't you, I know what English is and how to, how to pronounce that. Why wouldn't you pronounce Bunjalung correctly? Mm. It's phonetic. Mm. How diligent do we have to be? Oh, I think we have to be so diligent. There's a, a person who works in the AFL right up the top that just cannot say we're Wurundjeri. Oh. And every single time oh my God. she does an acknowledgement, it irks me to my bones. And I'm like, if you're going to take a role of leadership in our community, mm. at least have the respect, you know, to understand and to, to make the correct pronunciations. And I don't know, it just... It's just it shows that there is no respect in that way because mm. that is a common word Mm-mm. that we hear over and over again and it is still mispronounced and it is just, it irks me. But to answer your question, um, you know, I'm here as, a, <coughs> as an ILF ambassador as well as all of the lovely things that you talked about, what I do. But, you know, I was here on Tuesday and I want to talk about this amazing book and how important it is and how much we have to um, pass it on to our next generation and I got to, um, it's this beautiful new book, it's called Winthali, um, and it's about fire. But what's so gorgeous about it is it's a traditional um, bunabab. Bunabab. Bunabab, I always get that. It's new to me, bunabab. <laughs> so, but what it's got is it's got language in the story and then the English. And so Ani June Oscar read the language and then her family member read the English and then it was her son who stood up and sang in part of it there's a song he sang it in language and then he sang it in English and it was just so stunning but that's going to pass on to the next generation and there are QR codes and for kids to be able to have and all that importance of that language and keeping it in their classrooms and you know more and more we're seeing 
language teachers in classrooms as well. And that is just, it's just Western Australia is doing a brilliant job of that. And I hope that that spreads right across Australia, that we have language teachers that, you know, local language teachers within the classrooms that are a part of it. And we have to, as a nation, take responsibility for the fact that past government policies forbid this from being part of our classroom. And that now we've made the new child safety standards where a culturally safe classroom is number one. So if we're going to take this seriously, putting language, local languages in classrooms is important and books and people who speak language and passing that on needs to be our norm, not something where we're coming here saying, this is what we're doing, we want this to be a part of our kids every single day. You know, I get very jealous when I go over to New Zealand and it's a part of their, their classroom and they have the one language and people say, oh, it's because they have the one language. But realistically, that localised area has that one language too or they might have two or three. You know, like I recently had a young boy come down from the Northern Territory and English was his fifth language. Mm. So I had to teach him how to read in English. And so, but people... Other teachers treated him like he, he was stupid. Mm. Essentially, like that he, because he couldn't understand and read English, that there was something wrong with him. Yeah. But, you know, and that is so common over and over. So I taught him how to read in English, but this child knew four other languages, you know, and four different Aboriginal languages. Mm-hmm. And it's extraordinary. And we've got to have that respect for that language as a nation and bring that back and, you know, celebrate and keep it alive. A question from an anonymous contributor on Slido, and they say, how can we integrate teaching language in our preschool and school system? No better question for you, Shelley. What do you think we can do practically? Practically, it's the very, very most important thing that you have to do is connect with local people. Mm. They are your greatest asset. It could be a family member, it could be someone from a a language centre, from your local language A real living person, not an app or anything. Yeah, yeah. get them in there and build a relationship. So when the children are seeing them in the street, they are auntie, uncle, and they're familiar to them and they're a part of their world. And then once you have the that you're, well, you make a list or that you make a permission, you may have a dictionary, they may come in and do verbal and record them for you, make them a part of your everyday. Yeah. You know, put the words up so that the children can see them, say them, you know, like if they want to go to the Jilloa to the toilet in Victoria and, and use it and make it a part of everyday. And you get these fantastic books. I mean, ILEF has, you know, last year printed 11 books in language and more and more are being printed all the time. A hundred odd books have been printed in language, have them, have actual First Nations libraries within there that are written by First Nations authors that are a part of their every single day. There's so much you can do. There's literally, the internet is full of wonderful ideas that yeah. help you as a teacher, but that connection to local community is, is number one. Yeah, there's enormous freedom with what you can find online, mm-hmm. but you yeah. need a real living person. Yep. Make to them a part of Authenticate yep. and provide the kind of ethical. Yeah. Uh, support for what you're doing in the classroom. Yeah. Curly, can non-Indigenous people learn an Aboriginal language? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Aunty Velma Mulcahy had all kinds of community members come and sit with her every week on a Monday or Tuesday and, and learn Gunungara with her, and her rule was that you keep coming back. Um, so I think 
it's important to check in with yourself and ask, why do you want to learn the language? Is it because you want to build positive relationships with the community, honour the land and the country and the people who are the custodians of that space? Well, then that to me is a really good reason. Um, if it's to, yeah, commodify mm. culture, then I don't think it's a good reason to be learning language. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, I get really excited when I've got allies coming and saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to make sure that I'm not butchering Bunjalung when I say it, mm. you know. So, yeah, and the reason I asked before is, were they allowed to teach you, uncle, is because Ani Val grew mm. up on the mission and my mum was removed. And so they weren't able to teach language. And mm. she was always a really, really big advocate for us teaching language. Yeah. Uncle, we've got 30 seconds left. <laughs> what can our government do to preserve and promote Indigenous languages in society? <laughs> Take your 30 time. seconds. <laughs> One word, money. Yeah. Get their act together. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, I did speak with uh, Linda Burney at one stage or other, and she's behind language in New South Wales. Linda Burney, the new Indigenous then, Affairs Minister. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, so long as they do that, languages and everything else. Yeah. Um, and we have got some pe- really strong people behind that in government that have just come in, so some time yes. for them. It'll be wonderful to see. Awesome. Mm. Look, I hope this conversation about this most vital subject has been enriching, and I encourage you to learn a word. Ask a language speaker, though, uh, or a language worker, perhaps, rather than Google or an app, uh, if you can. Language is human, after all. That's Daniel Browning, presenter of The Arts Show on ABCRN and editor of Indigenous Radio. Joining him in conversation was Uncle Gary Williams from the Murbay Aboriginal Language and Cultural Cooperative, poet Keely Saunders and broadcaster Shelley Ware. They were speaking during the recent Antidote Festival hosted by the Sydney Opera House. That's the show for this week. Join us again next week for more stories from Indigenous Australia. This episode of Speaking Out was produced by Jay McAllister and you can email the program speakingout at abc.net.au and find us on social media via ABC Indigenous. I'm Larissa Berendt.